personal prayer language, which is used to edify yourself, build your faith up. And then the other one is used in a public ministry setting where you uh, someone shares a tongue like a prophetic word and then someone else interprets that. The one we're, we're going to engage in right now is the first one to edify yourself. Now, if you don't have this gift yet, I would encourage you just to pray and ask God to prepare your heart to receive what He has for you today. You know, this morning as we were praying and this weekend, yesterday as I was praying, I'm, I'm beginning to feel an intensity in the Spirit. And a lot of times I consider myself very uh, dense spiritually. I don't pick up on things. Um, so if I'm starting to pick, on, pick up on something, then it's got to be pretty loud. You know? And I believe things are going to change this year. I believe this year is going to be a year like we've never experienced before. I believe it's going to be a challenging, a very difficult year. I believe that when we move into 2013, no, yeah, 2013, it's kind of weird to say, that we're going to look at back at 2012 and I believe the change of the course of American history or even the world is going to be different. And that's just what I believe now. I'm not necessarily saying that prophetically, um, but I just believe that things are going to really change. And so we as the body of Christ, we as individuals, as Christians, we we got to be ready for whatever comes down the pike. Are you with me? So let's go ahead and stand. That's why, that's why I have this urgency in my heart. We need to, in other words, I don't want us just to get comfortable and just settle and just, oh, go ahead and preach and, oh, that's a nice word or no, that's not a good word. I don't want us to have that kind of attitude. But to say, God, my heart is open to hear what you have for me to hear. You know, when Jesus preached, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And that's what God's heart is right now. He wants us to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And I want to share what I believe the Spirit of the Lord is saying for this body this morning. So let's just begin to pray. You can pray in your tongue. Or if you don't have the gift of tongues yet, just begin to pray in English or whatever your native tongue is. And just invite the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart, to open your heart up. Father, we do come to you right now and we say we need you. Lord, we ask you to just to break off the crust, break off the crust from our hearts, oh God. Lord, we want to hear you. We want to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to this body today. Father, I want to hear what you're saying to me today. I want to engage. I choose to allow you to engage me, Father, by your word. I open my heart to receive, to embrace your word, Father, with the intentions of doing what it says. Come on, saints, let's pray. You are making grace available <clears throat> so we can grab a hold of your word and we have the power and ability to do what you tell us to do, Father. Thank you, O oh God, that you're in the heart changing business. Thank you that you are changing us and making us more like Jesus, Father. Thank you that you are equipping us, O oh God, so that we can do all, all that you call us to do, Lord. <clears throat> oh, we praise you and we bless you, Father. We thank you. We thank you. We give our ears to you, Father, to hear what you want to speak to us this morning. And thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to help me to deliver your word, Father. We bless you and we thank you and we give you honor and glory and praise in the name of Jesus. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated. We're going to turn to 1 Timothy Chapter one. Going to continue from last week. The title of the message last week was concerning the prophecy spoken over you preparing for war. That's the title. And today is part two. And next week's going to be part three. First Timothy, chapter one, verse 18. Got my phone this time. I do want to encourage you, um, I forgot earlier, go ahead and put your, your phones on, on silent. If you need to, uh, there's a call that you need to be attentive to, go ahead and just put it where you can see that, but just so it doesn't <clears throat> distract everybody else. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says to Timothy, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. <clears throat> In accordance with the prophecies previously spoken concerning you, 
that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Read it again. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. So apparently he had some prophetic words spoken over him. And he said those words that were spoken over you with them, I'm encouraging you to fight the good fight. Keeping faith and a good conscience. And then he says, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Now, this is um, the Lord put this on my heart to share. Excuse me. Uh, Now, those of you who were here and participated, we had a prophetic team come in a couple of weeks ago and uh, pray over uh, many of us. And so those who participated received prophetic words of what the Lord was wanting to speak to you, purpose, direction. And the purpose for that, that time, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) the purpose for that time was to encourage you, to build you up, to strengthen you, and also to give you vision and direction, to remind you, many of you have heard, have had prophetic words spoken over your life before. And probably what you heard this time probably confirmed or was similar to what you heard in the past. Or what God has been speaking to you, these brothers confirm what God wanted to say and is wanting to say to you so that you can move forward. You know, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, where there is no prophetic vision, this is the ESV version, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Or it says the people are discouraged. But happy is he who keeps the law. Where people don't have an understanding, a prophetic understanding and vision of what God wants to do in their lives, they can get discouraged. When you forget that God has a purpose for you, it's easy to get discouraged. And how do we forget? Sometimes we forget because life comes and just just smacks us around. Life's hard. Circumstances, challenges come. And then the words that God spoke to us at one point in time that that encourages that that filled our our hearts with fire. Then circumstances and life comes along and then we can forget about that. We forget about the word and we forget about the fact that God has a purpose for us and then we can get discouraged. And we can cast off restraint. In other words, oh, what's the point of following the rules? What's the point of obeying God? I mean, what's the use? What's the point? You know, I was thinking today is the Super Bowl, in case you didn't know that, today is the Super Bowl. And the two teams that are playing for the championship today, they had a journey to get to where they are now, playing for the national championship or the whatever, you know, world championship as they call it. But at the beginning of the season, the players on both teams had to buy into the vision that the coach cast. And I believe both coaches shared the vision with their players that, players, this year we are going to win the Super Bowl. Our goal is the Super Bowl. Because these two teams have been there before. They're very high caliber teams, very good teams. So their goal wasn't just to get to the playoffs. Although some teams, their goal is just to get to the playoffs because they haven't been to the playoffs in a long time or maybe never been. And so he cast the vision, Super Bowl is our destiny. And therefore, if we're going to accomplish this goal, then there are certain things that we are going to have to abide by. There are certain restrictions that we're going to have to submit ourselves to in order to accomplish this goal. And the men who bought into that, that vision, they were willing to submit themselves to whatever they needed to, whatever was required of them to be able to accomplish the goal. Now, if they didn't buy into the vision... Or if there wasn't a a clear vision cast, then when the coaches come in and and present this this very intense regimen of discipline, of exercise and everything. And if they don't have the men don't have that vision before them, then they're not going to really want to follow that. It's like, what's the point of doing this? Get up at what time? Eat what? Don't eat what? Are you kidding me? And then they get focused on the rules and it's like, that's just a waste of time. But when they understand the purpose 
The purpose of these rules and these restrictions is so I can accomplish the goal. Then they embraced, they embrace the restrictions, the rules with passion and say, this is what I need to do to get that, that I'm all for. And it can be the same thing with the body of Christ. When you don't have vision, when you don't understand what God has for you, then when you see the rules, the restrictions, the, the limitations that the scriptures seem to place on us, then we say, what's the point? I don't want that. I don't want to have to do that. Why should I subject myself to that? But when you understand that God has a high calling for you, an awesome, adventurous purpose for you, and you begin to get a glimpse of, he begins to, to share pieces with you, and your heart gets stirred up. Then you say, God, I don't care what I have to do. Yes, I'm willing to let you do whatever you want to do because I want what you want for me. Does that make sense? And so that is the main reason why we had these brothers come in last week or the last couple of weeks. Was to <clears throat> remind you of vision that God has for you. To stir you up, to encourage you, to bless you so that you can do, so that you can begin to again passionately pursue what God has for you. So that's why we did that. So if you're saying, why did you guys waste all that money? Because it was a few thousand dollars investment to bring the brothers in. But we believe you are worth investing in. So we're not just doing stuff flippantly. Oh, we don't have anything to do this weekend. So let's invite some people to come in and prophesy over people. That's not the way we approached it. God believes in you. You know, when you get a hold of that right there, that one phrase, God believes in you. That could change your life. Okay, getting back to, I'm going to read that again, 1 Timothy 1.18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy. So he's given him a command. Now remember, because all scripture is inspired by God and it's, it's available for all of us to, to equip us, to challenge us, to correct us, to prepare and make us ready for all that God has for us. I'm paraphrasing that verse, those scriptures. So we know that because all scriptures are inspired of God, <clears throat> if it was good for Timothy, then we know it's available for us. We know that this command is also given to us. So when Paul says, I command, I command this command, I entrust to you, Timothy, we can say that the Lord is saying, I am this command I give to you, my sons and daughters, that in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience. <clears throat> Why do we have to fight? Because we're in a war. You don't have to fight and just get whipped, just get beat, just get pulverized. And that's what's happened to a lot of people. They're not fighting. Maybe they've surrendered. Maybe they've given up, given up hope. And if God has spoken something to you a long time ago or recently, just because circumstances come in that seem to or that are very difficult, doesn't mean that those circumstances nullify God's promises to you. Just because you're going through a hardship doesn't mean that God doesn't have purpose for you anymore. And you can see all kinds of examples of that in the, in the Bible. That's why Paul was telling Timothy to fight the good fight, because he knew that he was going to have challenges. He knew that he was going to be challenged, probably because he was young. Well, his age had had uh, part to do with it because he says, don't let anybody look down upon you because you're young. So the fact that he was a young pastor, he knew Paul knew simply because of your age, you're going to have challenges. Because people are going to think you don't know what you're talking about, don't know what you're doing. In other words, life's going to come at you in such a way that if you don't learn to fight effectively, you're going to lose. And so what we talked about last week, what we're going to continue today is we have to go to war, but before we go to war, we have to prepare. We have to be equipped. We have to have the right tools to be ready. So that when we actually engage in battle, we're ready for the battle. First Timothy, if you turn to first Timothy, chapter four. 
And I'm going to mention verse 19 of the previous passage I had that I read. 1 Timothy 1a. But go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy 4. And he says, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. In other words, people's faith was becoming shipwrecked. 1 Timothy 4. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away or depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences, conscience as with a branding iron. I'll read that again. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall or depart. That means that word... Uh, Fall away means to make stand off, cause to withdraw, to remove, to excite, to revolt, to stand off, to stand aloof, to go away, to depart from anyone, to desert, withdraw from, to fall away, become faithless, to shun, flee from, to cease, to vex one, to withdraw oneself from, to fall away, to keep oneself from, abstain from one, oneself from. So there's an obvious turning away from something. The Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Turn away from the faith, embracing deception. And remember when Paul said in verse, chapter 1, verse 18, fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience. Keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected, and suffered shipwreck in their faith. And in chapter 4, he's saying, the Spirit, the Spirit says that this is what's going to happen to people. So Paul was warning Timothy because he had seen, because later on in that, in that, um, in one of those verses, I think it's in verse 20, he talks about two men who that had happened to. So I want to encourage you with this. It's important to learn to fight, to keep faith and a clear conscience. Because if you reject those things, you could be on your way to suffering shipwreck in regard to your faith. And do you realize that that is a progressive situation? That is not an instant thing. In other words, you don't believe in Jesus and follow him today and then Monday you totally turn away from him. That's not typically how it happens. There's a progressive thing that goes on. I'm sure some of you know people friends, acquaintances, people that you know, brothers and sisters in Christ that you knew at one time, they were walking with the Lord passionately. And then maybe you ran into or saw them or, or had an encounter with them a few or a couple of years later. And they're totally different. They don't have anything to do with the Lord. Anybody know anybody like that? And I bet you if you would have interviewed and talked to that brother or sister before when you knew them and asked them, are you ever going to turn away from God? Are you going to reject him, deny him? What would they say? No. So they didn't have any intention of doing that, but it happened. You may not have any intention of turning away from Jesus, but it is going to happen to people. People are going to make that choice. However, it's played out. And Paul is warning Timothy. And the Holy Spirit is one to warn us. And see, it's not something we, we're afraid of. We, oh, no. Oh, no. What if I turn from Jesus? Oh, no. What if I quit believing? Oh, no. Oh, no. That's not how we approach this. If you walk with him. And do certain things that the Lord gives us to do. And we just keep walking with him daily. Then you're not going to have to worry about that. But if you reject the counsel of the Lord. If we reject what he gives us, safeguards, encouragements in here, commands, if we reject this, then guess what? You're going to turn. Because it says that they, the people who, who've fallen away, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceitful spirits. You know, I heard a statement said by a pastor, or he was a minister years ago, and it stuck with me. He said, a man's morality Dictates his theology. A man's morality will dictate his theology. Now, what do I mean by that? 
That's what it says. Your morality, what you believe, your morals. If you have loose morals, if a person has loose morals and they think anything goes or they want to be loose and do all this kind of stuff, sexual sin and everything, then guess what they're going to do? They're going to embrace doctors and they're going to find even scriptures that will line up to what they believe, that will give them license and permission to do those things that they want to do. That is a very scary thing. You know, this progression of turning away from the Lord, the main thing that moves you down that road is living in willful sin. I'm not talking about the sin of like you're going along and then all of a sudden you yell at your wife or yell at your kids or get mad and you do something stupid. And you say, oh, I'm so sorry that I talked to you that way and, and that kind of thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sin that you know is sin and you're doing it 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 and you're doing it. Continually, continually, continually. That's the kind of thing that will lead you astray. Because what happens is either you embrace that sin or you repent of it. If you embrace it, then you're going to find you're going to surround yourself by people that say that's okay. You're going to find somehow scriptures that make you believe it's okay. Have you ever talked to somebody who shared they had some weird beliefs and they showed you in scripture how they came up with that belief? And you're like, how in the world did you come up with that? It's like it's in it's in there, but obviously it's out of context. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? So we have to prepare ourselves. We have to learn to fight. We have to prepare ourselves. And it's not just about survival. It's not just about hanging in there, holding on until Jesus gets back. But it's about aggressively and passionately embracing the call that God has for you. Taking the gospel, being a man and woman of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that gospel is so revolutionized and changed your life that you can't wait to share this with other people. And you're so about God's kingdom. That you want everything that he's made available to you. You want to run with it. If that's your heart. Then these scriptures are for you to embrace so that you can. Run the race effectively. And so there are three things I didn't get to finish last week. Think three things that we must do to prepare. The first one was we have to have the heart of Mary. <clears throat> There's a bunch of Mary. So you can say, which Mary are you talking about? Mary Smith. That's what I'm talking about. We're talking about the Mary in the Bible that that was the mother of Jesus. Remember that situation, the angel Came to the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, came to uh, Zacharias, who he and his wife were old and they had been wanting to have children, but she was barren. And the angel said, You're going to have a child, his name's going to be John, etc., etc., etc. And we saw the response of Zechariah was negative, it was unbelief. And he, you know, the angel shut his mouth, You're not going to be able to talk because you didn't believe what I said. He didn't respond properly, although the promise was still fulfilled. And he was like, how can this happen? Because we're old. And what I was sharing last week was John, I mean, Zechariah's situation wasn't, you know, his wife being barren. And then all of a sudden she's able to have a child. That wasn't the first time that happened. You know, there are people, you know, Abraham, his wife was barren and she had a child at old age. There were other people. So then the angel comes to this other, this young lady and says, behold, you're going to have a child. Etc. Cetera, et cetera. His name is going to be Emmanuel, Jesus, and all this kind of stuff. And then she responded. She asked the question, how can this be since I haven't been with a man? And he explains that the, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, etc., etc. He explains all that. And then her response was, Luke 138. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. Then the angel left. 
In other words, when the Lord spoke to her, even though her situation was impossible and she couldn't understand it, you know, even though he said the Holy Spirit's going to do this and this and this, she didn't understand how that was going to play out, how that was going to work. But she said, whatever you said, let it be. And when the Lord speaks to you and me, our heart needs to be, Lord, whatever you say, let it be. That's having the heart of Mary. When someone gives you a prophetic word or they they speak, of course, it's got to be the word of the Lord, not just someone saying anything. And we talked about a little bit how to determine that, get counsel, seek the Lord, that kind of thing. But when the Lord is speaking to you, don't reject it because, one, you don't like it. I don't like that word. Now, I don't want to do that. I want to do this over here, so I'm not accepting that word. I'm going to wait till someone tells me what I want to hear. And that's how some people can treat God's word. Treat the gift of the prophetic gift towards them. You know, one thing we have to be is people of God's kingdom. His kingdom needs to become our everything. His message, the gospel. What he's about needs to be what we live for. We can't continue to live our lives the way we want to, do what we want to do, and then sprinkle in a little bit of the gospel. Sprinkle in a little bit of what God wants. In other words, we live our lives Monday through Saturday, then we go to church. We have a good time in worship, we we do this, but then we live our lives and we just do that routine. And what concerns me... You know, when if you've ever been to any other part of the world, I'm sure we've seen it on TV, you know, obviously. Things are different in other countries. I mean, different in a way that we do not understand. One, because of our, our not influence, but affluence. We are so used to convenience. We're so, we are so blessed. We are so affluent. We have so much. And that's not bad. But we've allowed in this culture to allow, we've allowed the affluence, the convenience and comforts, we've allowed that to shape us and dictate our livelihood. In other words, we begin to to adjust our lives to where we go after those things. And those things become what we focus on. Consciously or subconsciously. And we... And it's like we'll embrace the part of the word that allows me to pursue those things or the part of the word that would seem to contradict that we reject. And my concern is. Is I have a feeling. And a belief that the way things are now are not going to stay the same. And if you look at the end of the book, Revelations. And you see how things are played out. It's real crazy, obviously. We don't understand how it works. But we know that there's going to be an Antichrist. We know that. We know that there's going to be a one world government. We know there's going to be a one, a one world currency. We know all those things are going to happen. Now, whether or not we're going to be here for all that or not, of course, we all have the different belief systems. Pre, mid, or post, rapture, that kind of thing. And what I'm concerned about is, For that stuff to happen, there has to be a progression leading up to that. And for that to happen, America cannot stay the way it is right now. It's impossible. How can it be a one world government and we have our own government the way it is now? How can you have a one world currency and we have our own? You know, we're not exempt from how it's going to play out. You know what I mean? And so if our life and our passion and our focus is on America the society the way it is now, and that gets shaken, then what's going to happen to you? We're going to be shaken. We're going to be more than shaken. If that's your foundation, and that's all destroyed, you don't have anything to stand on. But my concern is that's what we're standing on. That is what we're standing on. I was talking to someone the other day. I can't remember who I was talking to. I was talking to someone the other day, and we're talking about Africa. 
or other third world countries where people don't have a lot, but yet they're happy. They're content. It's like, that's amazing. And see, but what happens, though, is we project our experience onto their situation and we think, man, if I was in their shoes, there's no way I'd be happy. That's what we do. We project our experience. I mean, we can't do anything else. We can only have our own experience to look from, right? And so that's not bad. But the point I'm trying to make is, is if our whole foundation, our whole focus is what we have in America right now, we're going to be in big trouble when it shakes, when it changes. You know, I've shared a story before, and it, it, it just, it just, it's in me. And I can't remember who I heard it from. I've heard a number of stories of persecution. But there was one, something to the effect of, I don't know if I'm getting all the details right. But it was something to the effect of a, a Chinese pastor who was told to deny Jesus or die. And he wouldn't deny Jesus. And so they took him out, him and his family... And they had this, this big pit. And they said, deny Jesus or die. And they wouldn't deny Jesus. So the soldiers began to bury them. Begin to throw dirt in and bury them alive. Now, this pastor had his family, so he had young children. You know, of different ages. And what they begin to do from the pastor encouraged his family, let's just worship God. So the children and the family begin to worship God. Sing songs of praise to God. Now, hold on. Pause. Wait a minute. If God loved me, the God that I'm praising, and he's allowing this to happen to me and my family. So hold on for a second, soldiers. I was praying a minute and God didn't deliver me. So I don't I no longer believe in this God. So never mind. I deny him. That's not how it played out. But some of our theology here is all messed up that if things don't go the way I think they should, then something's wrong with with God. But in this story, they raise their hands and they begin to worship. And the dirt's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Then the small child is buried dead. And the parents continue to worship. Does yours and my theology allow for something that tragic to happen and for God to still be a good God? Don't answer that. If our determination of God being a good God is based on what happens in this realm, then we're going to have problems. But if we look from an eternal, an eternal perspective, eternity, God's kingdom, I'm going to live forever. My kids who are in the kingdom are going to be with, we're going to be with Jesus forever. See, if I'm coming from that perspective, then I can hold on to the love of God, even though my children are being buried alive. And then my wife is killed. And then I die. I mean, as horrible as that story is, and those of us with children, it even grabs us even deeper because imagine that happening to us. Imagine, imagine you in a pit with your kids and that is happening to you, but you're given the opportunity. Deny Jesus or die. Deny him. You go free. And the reason why that story means so much to me, I mean, it, I remember when I first heard that and I've heard similar stories and it's just heartbreaking. It's just gut wrenching. But then you think and none of us can say, oh, I know what I would do in that circumstance. We don't know. But I do believe this. If you're walking with God and loving God, when that circumstance happens, the grace of God will be available the grace of God, which is the power and desire to do what he wants you to do. Supernatural intervention, not necessarily for you to be to escape, but for you to endure.
And see, things like that help me to have a, a gut check. A, God, where am I? And so I have six kids, for those of you who don't know that. Those of you who knew that, you know that. I have six kids. The two older ones are out of the house now. And I have to honestly say that college is not my goal for them. As we're growing up, as my kids are growing up, my thing wasn't, and you can ask them, what college are you going to, supposed to be going to? My assumption wasn't that college was automatically God's will. See, in our society, in America, especially in Stillwater, it's easy to believe or come to the conclusion that college is the will of God. Because education is so valued in our culture. It is such a high value that we equate it with, obviously, it's the will of God. Obviously. Well, son, if you don't have a college picked out, what's wrong with you? You need to get in the prayer closet and pray. But what we challenge, Lisa and I challenge our kids with, is what does God want you to do? And if college is a part of that, we're 100% behind you. Even if it's OU. Now, we may have to fast and pray a few extra days. Just teasing. But the reason why I'm throwing that example out there is because we can say we're all about the king, we're all about the kingdom. But what is it? What values are we passing on to our children? We have to instill in them that it's about the kingdom of heaven. It's about God's kingdom. And if God is calling you to go to this university or to pursue this education, then so be it. We're all about that. But let's not assume that that's it. And we can be so upset. Oh, no, my kid's not going to college. They don't want to go to college. They have no desire to go to college. Oh, no, what is everybody going to think of me? Oh, no, all my other parents, uh, all my brothers and sisters, their kids are going to college and mine aren't. Oh, no, oh, no, what's going to happen? People are going to think low of me and my kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. See, our values are in the wrong place. But I believe that my older boys did seek the Lord in his direction. With the first one, it was college. And I bore witness with that. I said, amen, let's go for it. The second one, it wasn't college. I bore witness with that. I said, amen, let's go for it. And with the next four, I mean, hopefully the same thing. What does God want you to do? And they pursue whatever they believe God wants. Why is that so important? Because I think of them, when I think of that story, of the persecution, and I think of my children, I believe they have a relationship with God. So therefore, if anything happens to them, because there's going to come a point in time when I can't protect them, necessarily. If persecution breaks out in our culture, in our society, and people are getting killed left and right simply because they name Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we can't protect our kids, folks. But if I know that he has a relationship with Jesus Christ and if he's taken out for whatever reason, I think I'll be okay with that. But if my kids are pursuing the world and everything and going after the world and this and that and all that kind of stuff, then I'm going to be a little nervous. And that's just an example. But the cry of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is. We have to be about his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. You realize that as we're pursuing God and doing his will, he he'll throw these little things out to the side and say, hey, here, take this. It's like, what in the world does that have to do with the kingdom? Well, I just want you to have it. Be something totally seemingly worldly, not sinful, but just worldly. It's like what value is this in the kingdom? Like when God threw out and gave me and my wife a cruise several years ago that he told me to ask him for. That's a whole nother story I'm not going to get into. But here's the point. We have to be about his kingdom. We have to be about his kingdom. Jesus said, when the son of man comes, will he find faith in the earth? What's the one thing that pleases God without it's impossible to please God? 
faith. That's it. Faith. And remember, Paul said back in 1 Timothy 1, 8, teen, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck. Keeping faith in a good conscience. So we have to be about him. We have to be about him. His word has to be a premium in our life. Brothers and sisters, we cannot. And please don't take this legalistically. Because I don't mean it this way. But we cannot be too busy for his word. We cannot be too busy for his word. And this is, I've said this before. This is just a personal thing. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, so do not take it this way. But these, these, and I know the encouragement is to get people moving, and that's fine, to get you started. But some people start and stay there. But when you hear things about, well, if you just spend 15 minutes or five minutes in God's word a day, hey. And if, if, that's, if you're not, and that's a good start for you, praise God, go after it. But unfortunately, too many saints are only spending 15 minutes a day in God's word, and they think they're going to be strong enough to face and do what God has for them. I don't think so. The reason why is because they're fit spending 15 minutes in this, but what are they filling the rest of their time with? What are we filling the rest? If we're too busy for this, then what are we filling our time with? And if it's worldly stuff, then our focus, our affections, our passion is going to be on worldly stuff. And then when that starts getting tinkered with or, or shaken or messed with, then we're going to start doubting the love of God. Wait a minute, God. I thought you loved me because my worldview is going to be if God loves me, he's going to allow me to have all this stuff. You see what I'm saying? And they try to take that stuff away from me. Oh, no, you don't. Can't have my stuff. Because my whole foundation is that stuff. Is this making any sense? Well, I appreciate that, Cindy. But this is why I've been, I think, why I've been feeling an intensity. I mean, the Lord's been, I am not preaching at you. I'm preaching at us. He's been dealing with me about this. You know, I've been in situations where I thought my life may end for the gospel. And I was okay with that as much as I think I could be okay with that. My concern was my family. And as I shared this before, when I went to Iraq, I thought when I was there, and I didn't, I didn't have this thought before I left, but when I was there, when I was in Jordan on the border, we're about to leave the next morning at three in the morning to go into Iraq. And I was up that night praying. I thought that I wasn't coming back. And I had a long talk with the Lord. Not because I was afraid of dying, but I wasn't sure if my family was taken care of. I was concerned about that. And then I was able to rest in the fact that if something happens to me, God can take care of my family. I had to, and of course we say, well, of course God can take care of my family or our families. We think that in theory, but when you're facing the situation, is it reality? And God gave me peace in my heart. And he reminded me that he gave my wife peace a few months before. So I, I knew he confirmed that this was his will for me to go. I knew I was supposed to be there. I knew that without a shadow of a doubt. So I wasn't doubting his will. Oh, no, that I miss God. But it was, Lord, if I don't come back, are you going to take care of my family? Now, if you want to know if I made it back from that trip, I'll tell you next week. Sometimes it's hard to know which direction to go. I didn't even get to the point I was going to make today. And I don't have time because it will take another 20 minutes. So I guess maybe I'll get to it next week. I'm not going to make any promises. But here's what I do want to encourage you with. 
brothers and sisters. God loves you violently. And let me clarify. Passionately, that's a word. There's a new song out. One of the Bethel songs is called God's Love is Furious. I love that song. When we were singing that one song earlier, and you know the, the verse when it talks about, you know, he is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane, all that kind of stuff. And then there's that one phrase in there that talks about um, like kisses like a sloppy wet kiss. And I know some people have a hard time with that. It's like sloppy wet. Just the imagery. I'm just, what? God, sloppy wet kiss. I'm struggling with that. Some people are struggling with that. But what I, the image that comes in my thinking is just like when, what my kids, and I don't do this too much with Trey and Bryant or Joseph or Grant. <laughs> I just have a hard time. But like Benjamin or Julia, you know, grabbing them and just slobbering all over, just kissing them and, you know, spitting. You know what I mean, parents? You know where you do that, you know, that kind of stuff, just sloppy. And they're just squealing with joy. They're just ah, screaming and freaking out, squealing. And that's fun. And I'm expressing my love for them in a passionate way. That's the image I get with God. And that's the picture that I'm, or like what I feel in my spirit that he's wanting to convey to us right now. It is not a, you better get your act together or else. And he's got his hand raised, he's going to backhand you. That is not the image that God is wanting to portray. But I believe he's saying that if we would just get a hold of how much he loves us, and if we just take him by the hand and let him lead us, just come on, son, come on, daughter. Where I'm taking you is not easy, but I won't let go of your hand. Because we're not promised easy stuff on this planet. And if we are promised easy stuff, then that's not fair. That's not just for all the other Christians in other parts of the world who did not have it easy. Now, some lives are easier than others as far as appearance. Jesus promised us that we will have trials. We will have hardship. And those who desire to live righteously will suffer persecution. But we have a God, a real God, not a statue, not a wooden carving, but a real God who loves us passionately, wants to slobber all over you and say, come with me. He's inviting us to engage him daily. We have to carve out time. We have to carve out time so that we can be in his presence, so he can change us. Are you with me? Let's stand together. I ask you to close your eyes. I just want to encourage you just to invite the Holy Spirit right now. And give Him the opportunity to reveal a little more of His love for you. Because of course we can't handle it all. We can't even handle a big part of it. But just a, another little glimpse. I believe He's wanting to, earlier, earlier during the worship, I believe He was wanting to do that somehow. And I really don't understand how, but Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now. And we ask 
or we just surrender to you and allow you to do what you want to do in our hearts right now. Lord, reveal your love to us. Give us another little glimpse of your love that you have for us. He does want you to understand, even though you're going through a very challenging circumstance, His love for you hasn't changed. If you can put your heart and your affections on eternal value, eternal things, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. love you, Father. Thank you that you love us. We bless you. And Lord, we do want to glorify you. We want you to be glorified in our lives. We thank you for your word. Let it burn in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.